This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to this very special joint Blood Red and Royal Blue podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and I'm your host, the Everton correspondent and today joined by Joe Rimmer, Paul Gorst and Adam Jones as we talk about the issues that are facing both clubs during this coronavirus crisis and while the Premier League remains on shutdown, suspended indefinitely, but with hopes potentially of a return this summer, but we will see no games for the time being. Um, and today we'll be talking about those issues that affect both clubs, furloughing, obviously a huge talking point over the last week or so, player wages, uh, deferrals, uh, paying into this NHS fund, and, and, and also discussing how football will look when it comes out of this crisis, a lot of talk about a downturn and, and how football financially will look much different than it does now. Um, Gorsi, I'll start with you. And I know you, you guys have spoke about it on a separate Blood Red, but just for the purposes of, of, of today's pod. Um, what was what was the um, thinking at the club, as best you know it, at Liverpool? Um, first of all, to use the furlough scheme and then quite quickly to, to, to U-turn on the decision? To be honest, I, I don't think they expected quite the the, um, the, the feeling of, of of anger about it, to be honest. I mean, it was announced on, on the Saturday afternoon, wasn't it? And by the Monday evening, they basically done a complete 180 on it. So um, I suspect Liverpool officials were locked in talks across the weekend just trying to, to come to a, a, an agreement because, you know, Liverpool to kind of sell themselves. You, do, you know, we hear so much about spouse and use of Bill Shankly and the Bill don't really miss an opportunity to quote him when they can. So to say that this means more and you know all the kind of socialist values that Shankly is synonymous with to then kind of go back on that and use a, a government fund that was set up for struggling businesses to pay your lowest um your lowest paid workforce just didn't sit right with with many of the supporters across the world and, and it was very much it seemed to be more the the outpouring of of anger towards it was it was very much more of a local thing. I had quite a few supporters from uh, from America and various you know parts of the world who didn't quite see why there was so much disappointment around the decision when the staff were st- still being paid one hundred percent of their wages. Um, obviously, uh, using a, a, a Tory government to pr- prop up eighty percent of salaries was something that didn't sit right with. A predominantly left-leaning supporter base, particularly in the city. So, um, I think Liverpool were taken aback by the. I mean, certainly the owners, FSG. They're obviously Boston-based, and only really Mike Gordon who spends most of his time on Merseyside. So, I think they were taken aback by the the um, the reaction to the decision. So, it was good that they came to that to that U-turn quite quickly, and it was good that they were able to hold their hands up and say to Peter Moore's open letter that yes, okay, they got it wrong, and it's one that they're rectifying, and they they up on now and are using their own funds to pay who are, as you say, the lowest paid members of staff. Um, Joe, obviously Everton's stance at the, at the minute remains that there's no immediate plans, but of course, constant review in the situation. But why do you think that other clubs who have used furlough, Spurs, Newcastle, um, I think Norwich, um, why do you think they seem to have escaped the um, heavy criticism that, that came from Pool's way? I think there is, there is a difference between the types of fan base, as of course Steve mentioned then, Liverpool's fan base is, is very much in the city left-leaning. And um, I think what, what worries me is that nobody saw the 
maybe someday see this coming. Uh, I, I thought as soon as it was announced, I think all of us um, were talking and saying, I, I can't believe that this has happened. And I think a lot of fans, that was their immediate thought. Um, I just don't think you get that with many other clubs, especially I suppose, some of the London clubs. It might be the fan base is perhaps a bit more varied, but in Liverpool, it's a very much left-leaning fan base. And but they didn't see this, didn't see the backlash. Um, it's slight worrying. Um, it's the second time that they've sort of climbed down on something. The, uh, the £77 tickets in 2016, walkout that followed at Sunderland. Um, you know, they learned their lesson then. They were praised for the U-turn, the, um, the apology that followed after that. And they've rightfully been praised again for this, but it just slightly, slightly worries me that's happened again. Um, I think perhaps they should have seen which way the wind was blowing and, and, and delayed this a little bit and at least waited for more clubs to show their hands before they decided to make a decision like this. Mm. Um, Adam, from an Everton point of view, um, some of the clubs that have used the decision have obviously been in profit in the last set of accounts that we've been Everton, obviously quite the opposite record Um how, how do Everton resist... The, the need to furlough if this goes on for, 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 for you know longer and, and, and cash flow becomes a big problem. Um, I, th- I think they've just got to prioritise this, to be honest, because I think we've seen from the backlash not towards Liverpool, just towards Liverpool as well. I think we saw it. I think I mainly first saw it when Spurs took this decision to furlough staff, and there was quite a lot of uh, backlash in the national media from that. But it it, it shouldn't even really be uh, just because, down to football clubs as well. Any sort of you know, million pound, billion pound business shouldn't really be looking to use this scheme for their own benefit like this. And that we all know that's why this failure scheme wasn't brought in. I think we all kind of understand that businesses were always going to take advantage of it in some way, but Everton have set themselves up to be this bastion for the community. We can't really be seen to be going down that route and, you know, tr- trying to use government money to to essentially dig themselves out of the hole in 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 uh, in the future so I, I think everton have just got to prioritize doing anything possible to stay away from the furlough scheme and just you know keep using their own funds in any way shape or form because you know we, at the financial impact of this disease just we got we can't really know anything about it for a good long while yet so i think everton have just got to try and prioritize look let's just pay all our staff uh, ourselves and then let's see where the situation lies in a few months. I guess because of that um, deep uncertainty and, and the concern about seasons, perhaps the thought of the threat of seasons not being finished and of course the potential therefore of TV companies asking for rebates and, and you know the Premier League estimating that it would be at least £1 billion lost across the Premier League if the season was not completed. Um, the onus, or certainly the conversation, has, has again gone on to player wage cuts or deferrals. Um, Gorsty, what what do you think is going to happen there uh, generally across football? Do you think we're going to come to a, an answer and an agreement? Do you think the 20 clubs, Southampton are the, are the only club far that have agreed? Um, do you think that players will reach agreements with their clubs on, on, on wage cuts? You'd like to think so, but maybe when you think of some of the some of the wages that they get paid across the Premier League, you know, you, if you look at Liverpool, for example, I think it's it's probably uh, Mohamed Salary. I think he's the the highest earner of the club, and um, there are a handful who, who are not too far behind on what uh, we believe to be worth around about two hundred thousand pounds a week. 
um, you'd hope that um, all this this wealth can kind of fritter down and, and help out the club in, in other areas where they're a little bit short. So obviously we've seen the club we're willing to, to kind of dip into the government funds. So um, you, you hope that that can be kind of used elsewhere and, and an agreement can, can be reached. But um, it's a difficult situation because there's so many players and, and so many different um, different circumstances surrounding you know a certain amount of money to Hamad Salah is is a, a whole lot more to someone like Curtis Jones where, where the, the, the disparity between the, the weekly earnings is probably huge so um, it's not just going to be a blanket thing where I, th- I think sometimes people who don't really follow football as closely as, as we do and, and so on just kind of assume that the, the going rate for any Premier League player is that kind of superstar mm. salary of a Mohamed Salah of a Virgil van Dijk but the rest is there's so many young players coming through who okay they do earn a, a really good wage by you know comparatively for the rest of the country and, and other other jobs and, and other sectors and so on but they're not going to be earning anywhere the superstar wage so to ask for them to take a 30% cut um, isn't a, a cut and dry thing and it's not um, particularly easy for them to do that so it's, um, it's a difficult one and it's not an open and shut case. Um, there's going to be a lot of discussions that are going to be need to be taken from Liverpool, from Everton, from every other club across the Premier League to come to some sort of agreement. Um, hopefully it can be done, but um, it's not as not as easy as just saying, right, you're only put 30% and you're still earning enough money to, to get on with it because um, it's just quite plainly not that simple. So that has to, that has to be something though from the players, surely, because... Um... We, we don't know if the season will be finished. Obviously, the Premier League are making a commitment to try and get it finished, of course, and we do hope that it can be done. Um, but Bur- the Burnley chairman, Mike Garlick, over, I think it was the last la- last weekend, was saying if there's no games, they'll run out of money in August. That's Burnley. Yeah. Well, I think I think they're really able to find this agreement, especially across all clubs, because there's so many factors at play and so many people involved. You know, um, the PFA seems to be resisting the moment, but I think clubs might have to agree with their own staff certain certain wage cuts because, I mean, look, some of the the bigger clubs could get away with it with the with the revenues they earn elsewhere, but this could be catastrophic for a lot of clubs. I mean, you you look back, what was it, the ITV deal years and years ago that mm. that, that almost ruined many clubs in football, and, and this sort of thing, if this lasts, could be. You know, it could bring down the sort of house of cards. It's been been TV money, which has been going up and up and up. And I don't think there'll be a lot of clubs that never expected that to slow down. And that's why I think we're seeing clubs use these furlough schemes because they're, they're probably quite afraid and they, they don't know how long this is going to last. And I agree with Adam. I don't think they should be using it. The furlough scheme is set up to help smaller businesses. My dad runs a small business. If he has to close, the furlough scheme would, would probably save him. But I don't think we should be surprised at clubs either because they're, they're big businesses. They're hard nosed. They have to they have to make tough decisions, and they'll do things that are unpopular. And you know that whether you like it or not, the owners aren't always going to put money in. So I think they'll be coming down. They'll need need players to, to take wage cuts. But I think they'll find this decision really difficult to get through because there's a lot of factors at play. Ads, just staying with that though, and you know, as Gorsi makes a very good point, and it, it was it was something that we talked about in his column over the weekend that there are various, you know, every, a, a squad doesn't have twenty three 
people on 200 grand there's you know there's, there's a full spectrum of wages and everybody's got personal circumstances and, and everybody's different but you can't escape from the fact that at most premier league clubs the highest the most amount of money spent on anything in one given season or, or one year is player wages so if the players don't take pay cuts some of their football clubs could theoretically disappear yeah it, it's a really weird situation isn't it and i suppose maybe looking at it from an everton and liverpool perspective you probably don't get the wide range of what could possibly happen at a premier league club because obviously we've got fsg who are running liverpool who are worth billions we've got farhad mashiri in charge of everton who's worth billions as well so in all likelihood it's probably not going to come down to that on either side club but you know what you're mentioning there about Burnley you know if, if there aren't matches played they could go under by August you know that that, that is that's really unthinkable like imagine at the start of the season thinking to yourself a Premier League club could go like could go there by August next year like that is that's absolutely incredible and I think I think I agree with Joe it, it, it's going to be hard to come up with some sort of blanket some sort of blanket wage cut for the for the entire mm-hmm. Premier League. It's not just it's not just the individuals at each club who are going to have to consider their own situations, but it's each club that's going to have to consider their own situations as well. Like you can't expect you know top earners like at Burnley, let's say we're going to be at more risk than a club like Everton. You can't you surely can't be asking the the top earners at Burnley to be taking the same cut as at Ever as at Everton mm-hmm. to yeah. try and save themselves. It's it's a really weird dynamic, and as I say, I think Everton and Liverpool are probably in a, in a, like, I don't want to say a good situation, but you know, a, a more comfortable situation almost than a lot of other Premier League clubs. And you know, you're probably seeing that with the likes of Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley. Uh, yeah, so it, it, I think Everton and Liverpool can consider themselves a tiny bit lucky that they that they've got you know owners who are worth so much because I don't think it will come to that. And I think you know, further down the line, if it does come to the you know, players taking wage cuts. I wouldn't be surprised to see Everton and Liverpool players kind of leading the way in that respect. Mm. So what's going to happen? <laughs> Million dollar question. And I, I know we're not going to be able to find any answer because no one knows the exact answer. But does this change, Gorsty? <clears throat> Do you think what Liverpool's plans were for the summer? There's a lot, you know, there's been a lot of talk about people like Timo Werner and, and what have you. I'm sure you'd be able to clarify that for us. Does this, does this whole pandemic fact that there's a feeling that football financially will take a hit? Do you think, you think, you think Liverpool and, and Jurgen Klopp are going to have to sort of take a, a step back and, and reconvene with Michael Edwards and go, no, we, we can't go for player X, Y and Z. Or, on the flip side, this club are going to need to sell players to, uh, to, to, to help, them, help them out of a black hole so we, we, can, we can go in and, and get somebody we maybe didn't think we could. Yeah, I think we might get a transfer market that's a little bit more um, streamlined, if you like. We, we see so many figures now, and, and the, the going rate for a, a decent Premier League player is 40, 50 million, isn't it? And you don't really bat an eyelid when trend that kind of email. So I think we might see a little bit more of a, um, of a decrease in, in transfer figures across the across the planet. Um, I think something that starts to resemble a little bit more, you know, what, what you might consider fairly normal. Um, because let, let's face it, we, we've already heard Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this week suggesting that Manchester United might be able to exploit the transfer market and those oh, yeah, are the yeah. used. Mm. Um, so big clubs who, okay, they've been hit financially by, you know, the essentially football has, has stopped trading, but 
Um, big clubs still got financial reserve to fall back on. And if the case is that clubs have to sell their players a little bit of a knockdown price, then Liverpool, you would imagine, would be a club who were able to kind of profit from that, if, if you if you if you can say that. I mean, it sounds a little bit opportunistic and a little bit perverse, but that could be the situation when Liverpool do bring in a player that was once worth 40 or 50 million when they're bringing him in for maybe around half that. So um, that could be the knock-on effect, but uh, it would be a, a knock-on effect for the entire football and ecosystem. So I think we might see transfer fees decrease um, significantly this, this summer. What about wages, Joe? Do you think that inevitably new contracts, new players coming in, they just simply can't, and their representatives cannot ask for what players are on now? Yeah, quite probably, yeah. Um, if, you, if you think player coming in now, Liverpool would pay, what, 120000 150000 for a first-team star coming into the into the team. It might be a case of maybe paying around a third of that, and then once everything's back on its feet, then you can look at a, a contract renewal that's more in line with what the big, big stars are already in. That that could be one way of looking at it, but it's um, it's such a such a difficult thing to predict, isn't it? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, there things you did say, Joe, didn't you? I did, I did. Doesn't matter. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> the, the big one, uh... I'll come back to you. Um, Adam. <laughs> Uh, Adam, where does this position potentially? Same question from from an Everton point of view. Um, you know, we, we're aware of, of of the interest before the suspension in in, in Gabriel at Lille, a young defender, would look like he was going to cost thirty million quid. Um, do you think that this increases Everton's chances of being able to get him, or does this make it doubly difficult? Will Lille will they up the price? Will, will they reduce the price? I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because we would already very interested by what Everton's transfer situation was going to be anyway after you know the latest club accounts and the general meeting you know it's it's very obvious that Everton have to be a little bit more careful with their money than they had over the last few years and I think maybe the situation that we're in now just has prioritized the need for a really clear and cohesive transfer strategy which you know apart from maybe the summer of 2018-2019 the 2018-19 season there hasn't really been that at Everton uh, for, a, for a little while so it, it really puts a little bit of pressure on Ancelotti and Brands you know this scattergun approach almost that Everton have seemed to possess over the last well probably before Marcel Brands came in over those few years that scattergun approach just won't work now Everton can't be seen to go and spend you know 20 million here 30 million there 30 million there like we, we, the Everton have got to list priorities their, their targets their positions that they want to you want to bring in and you know with the current financial situation across the Premier League it might mean that they have to you know bin off signing a player in one of those positions maybe they have to change their target for another one of those positions because he's going to cost too much or the, the situation's just took that player away from them but yeah I, I think it's just going to make having a cohesive transfer strategy even more important for Everton. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joe, does this not potentially lead on to another question about, you know, clubs will, will find success or, or not um, based on the strength of their academies? Absolutely. I think what Adam was saying there, I think if you've got a list of targets, you might have to prioritise and you might have to turn to players, that younger players. So perhaps it could be a good thing for young players and academies across the country who might then get a chance. I know. 
you know, grossly talking about Liverpool. I, I think Liverpool are a fairly prudent club when it comes to the transfer market, and I think they they won't go rushing into this one now, um, like perhaps they might have done before this before this crisis. So, you know, they've got they've got good young players there that I'm pretty sure Jurgen Klopp would be more than comfortable to turn to. People like Curtis Jones, people like Nico Williams. So. I think a lot of clubs might have to put faith in, in certain players and academies. It might end up being a good thing for those players. Um, you know, I do think that the transfer market will be, I think it'd be a strange one. I think a lot of clubs will have different, you know, the richer clubs might be able to get away with a bit more. Some of the the, um, the other clubs might have to try and sell players quicker. Um, I think, I really don't know what we're going to see in terms of fees. Um, you would expect them to come down, but one or two clubs might try and be stubborn and, and, and try and get what they, they would have thought was value say last summer um, so it's going to be really interesting I think we could see quite a slow start and then a frantic finish to whatever window we end up getting yeah of course and, and we and we still don't know when that'll be um, just moving on EFL um, told clubs this week that they believe they can get the remain, remainder of their season uh, completed in 56 days this summer um, so potential there for um, maybe for a framework or, or a blueprint for the Premier uh, going into June, July, um, but the assumption on on on, on all of that there seems to be, um, Gorsty, that games will have to be played behind closed doors. How do you <clears> think <throat> supporters across the board will react if that's confirmed? I mean, there's almost, you're almost getting into the territory where you just want to get it done and dusted and just recap it all and and get next season started when it's when it's safe to do so. I think. But for Liverpool's perspective, he crushing to have Jordan Henderson lifting that Premier League trophy in front of no one. I think it'd just be a soulless victory after waiting thirty years for for the first league title win. And I just couldn't really imagine how surreal and how sad that kind of prospect would be. But at the moment, it, it's probably looking like the most likely scenario, isn't it? Because who knows when it's going to be safe to have forty, fifty thousand people congregating into to a football stadium once again. So um, unfortunately, that does look to be the most viable way forward at this stage. Um, I know some people have suggested to just wait and wait it out until you know you, you can kind of pack thousands of people into a small area once again and get it all running and, and bring out just traditional football atmospheres for for big games. But um, how long do you wait? That that is the thing. So it's um, it, it's a really difficult one. But I think from the pool perspective, so I mean. It, it probably would represent something of an anticlimax, wouldn't it, when Liverpool finally do lift that Premier League title and um, there's no one there to see it. And who knows what the, the measures are with the, the lockdown situation at that point and when it happens. People are still going to be indoors and not going to be able to go out and, and have a drink to celebrate it. It's just such a such a surreal position that we're all in at the moment and we're just taking it day by day to, to see what, what the answers are. But um, it's... Would be a really, really weird situation. That. Ad, how do you think football supporters would react if the Premier League said that the season is coming back, but the remaining nine, ten games will be without fans? Yeah, it's something that we've spoke about on Royal Blue for a little while, isn't it? Like, I'm, I'm of the opinion that football without fans just is hollow and a, a little useless. Really, I, I think. Not only the atmosphere changes, but you know, I, I, there's no part of me that thinks you know that that must affect everybody on the pitch as well. You can't you can't play to the same sort of intensity. It, it, 
empty stadium rather than a stadium full of 40,000 of your fans. Like, it's going to be so different. And, you know, you've got clubs like, you know, let's say the clubs who are fighting relegation, you know, they, they need those they need fans them to get big performances in their home games, you know, and to be playing that in front of no supporters, it's just, it's going to feel even worse for them if they were then to be condemned to relegation. So I think as an absolute last resort, yeah, that's what it's going to have to come to because I still think finishing the season should be the priority. I don't think we should be prioritising starting a season that, you know, has, you know, hasn't started yet. I think as we've talked about, you know, the importance of getting these games on, you know, for clubs, even like Burnley in the Premier League, is it's so financially important to get these on. You know, so uh, it, it will be, be a real shame if we were to play games behind closed doors. But if that's what it comes to, then I think that's what it's just going to have to be. Joe, um, just going back to Gossie's point about Liverpool and, and basically winning the league uh, behind closed doors. I mean, I mean, the 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 prospect of behind closed doors football is fraught with difficulties anyway. But how on earth would the city be able to sort of police or, or control? Because everybody would want to come out of a Liverpool persuasion and celebrate that. And how difficult would it be to actually prevent people from being round the ground? On the night when you know the club could could the trophy, it'd be so difficult, surely. Well, that's it. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I personally think that they they have to get the season finished, and if that's behind closed doors, I think most fans accept that. But warriors that would just turn out, and the warrior people would say, you know what, screw this. Even even if I have to go around to my mate's house to watch it, people would be breaking the rules, um, left, right, and centre. And I I just think. The authorities think what's of three rules. If you you can't pack people into the ground, and I think they will have to get this this season finished, and I think it will be behind closed doors. I think Liverpool as a club will probably promise some sort of party afterwards. You know, they'll fill out Anfield, they'll lift trophy again, they'll have a parade, all that sort of thing. Um, and I think most sensible fans will accept that this has to be done, and it has to be done behind closed doors. It's it's that sort of situation, but. How they police that sort of thing is just—it's—it's it's a worry. It's—it's it's an unknown. Um, I think that would be the biggest concern um, around playing games behind closed doors. But look, it's—it's it's not about Liverpool. Is it? They, they get the season done. Not Liverpool, but for for, for Leeds United, for for West Brom, mm. for for the, the clubs in the relegation zone, for the clubs in League One and League Two. You know. All of those clubs need to get things sorted and they need to know where they are next season. You can't start next season without getting that sort. And, um, you know, I think we talked about the financial implications of a break or the financial implications for a club like, say, Leeds United, who have sit on the brink for. What happens to them if they've spent the season almost getting up? The season gets cancelled and they don't go up. Yeah. And then and then this break comes through. They could they could go under. It, it's, it's not... Not beyond the realm of possibility. I, I think we need to get this done. And if it's behind closed doors, uh, fans need to be sensible to accept that and um, accept that it needs to happen. So if it does go behind closed doors, and I'll open this to, to anybody who wants to answer, what does Sky BT have to do? Because if you're a season ticket holder at Goodison or Anfield uh, and you can't go and watch that game that you that you were you paid for, I mean, you probably get a season ticket re or, or what have you. But 
Are you not entitled to see that game if it's played behind closed doors? I think there'd be a, a moral duty on, on the TV company to open it all up and, and just ignore the subscriptions and just make it like, like it on BBC. Um, because that is a, is a massive incentive to keep keep people indoors and keep people you know, watching it from the sofas. Um, so, I mean, that's what they'd have to do. I mean, let's face it, the, the Premier League wants to get this season done because of the, the division deal because of, of how much money is still owed. There's still 92 games left to play. How many of them are going to be on, on TV? How much is, is a TV game worth? Um, it, it all centres around a TV deal. I think when it was last agreed, it was, it was um, around about 9.2 billion, which just shows you the, the kind of figures that, that, that they're dealing with. So um, I think from Sky and, and the BT perspective, they, they would have to just stick it on any for free. Anybody disagree, Gosty? You think that's, that's the way it would have to go? No, uh, I completely agree. I think the... the we'd finally have to see, you know, Saturday three o'clock games being televised, you know, wherever I think obviously raises a good point. If you're going to put it on, you know, normal like terrestrial TV, I think that's probably the biggest incentive that people are going to have to just stay indoors and watch it from the comfort of their own couches. So I'd have to completely agree with that. But I think this whole scenario is just, we're, we're scrambling for any sort of clarity in a situation that just isn't, isn't going to provide it anytime soon. You know, I think, the Premier League and you know football in general, and we move the rest of the country, the rest of the continent, the rest of the world in how we're we're dealing with this situation. And at the minute, we we haven't dealt with it well enough to be able to really consider and put into put into place rock solid plans that will happen for us in the future. So, you know, we can keep we can keep these questions going, I suppose. But like, there are only going to be questions for foreseeable future because. Say, I can't, I just can't see how this situation is going to change for a while. Joe, do you have any, any belief, punch, or, or, or idea that you when you think we might see football back? <laughs> That's tough. Well, China, China have just coming out of um, isolation now, so three months. Mm. So, this is week three, am I right? Yeah, it all seems to sort of join together. So, week three and the first week of April. So Maybe towards the middle end of June, mm. you know, and then and then throughout the summer months have a break, start the new season again in late September. I don't know. Um, that that's a that's a massive guess. And yeah, yeah. Ch- China went into lockdown. They they did it very well. They were very strict. Um, we perhaps weren't as strict in lockdown immediately. So every country is different. It's it's difficult to them. It's difficult to them. Mm. Just just going back to players and and, and contracts. Obviously, FIFA. Um, Released their guidelines this week about about contracts that would have would have uh, finished at the end of June because obviously didn't, won't be finished by then. Um, Gosty, how does that impact Liverpool? Are, are the players that were likely to have left in the summer going to be hanging around for longer than expected now? You'd imagine so. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think Pedro Chirivella is one of them. Adam Lallana is still likely to leave. Crack band at the moment. Liverpool have worked so hard over the last two years to tie down their big stars to, to long-term deals. You can think of pretty much everyone in the squad who was signed before 2018 as having a deal. The only one who wants is Gian who um, is probably the odd one out and, and his deal expires next summer. So I don't think that they've got too much to concern themselves around that. Uh, luckily, I mean, Pedro Chilavella, very much a fringe player anyway. I've been some talk of trying to get him tied down to a new one. It's like a little bit of a value preserver. 
because he's played a few FA Cup games and Carabao Cup games this season and shown himself in a good light. Um, so Liverpool could probably still think he could get a decent fee on him if he signed a new contract. But uh, they were resigned to losing Adam Lallana, who wants to play more games. So those are those are the two big ones, really. And I imagine that they still um, probably would leave um, at the end of the season. But uh, whether whether it'll just be a, a short-term extension until the end of the Premier League season, I'm not quite sure how how that will manifest itself. But um, that is probably the most logical one at the moment. Another one on Everton point of view is there's a couple of players that probably were going to be leaving uh, leaving the club, but will will stay throughout the summer. It, it would seem. Yeah, yeah. The the weird Everton career of Umani Ass has taken another turn. It's like he's going to be staying at Everton for another few months at least, which is you know I think a little bit surprising to us all. Kuko uh, Martina as well, whose contract was set to expire. Uh, Martin Stecklenberg, I think, coming to the end of his contract there. Probably the most hot ones, like names, isn't it? And you know, at the start of the year, you would have thought to yourself, when he signed a, another year contract extension, you were thinking, oh, well, this is going to be last year and he's probably going to step aside at the end of the season. But you know, last few weeks before the break, he came into side and he, he showed some amazing quality, you know, in big games against uh, Man United as well. So, will Leighton Baines be able to earn himself a new contract? Maybe. I, I wouldn't put it past him, to be honest. So yeah, there's a, there are, there are a few interesting sort of contract situations that have it. I think there's a couple on loan as well. Is Shani Tarashai and Luke Garbutt. You're still expecting them to leave uh, by the end of this contract. So I think Leighton Bates is the only one that's maybe got a question mark over his head. Hmm. Okay, chaps. Um, so before we finish, um, just for the listeners, any uh, top tips on how to uh, break the boredom of lockdown? Netflix girlfriend, I suggest. <laughs> I have a one-year-old child that, that keeps you keeps you busy. You'll know that, Phil. Yeah, yeah, that does keep you busy. <laughs> There's no boredom. There's no boredom involved. Does Sam Carroll count as a one-year-old child? Because counts as a child, certainly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about the same thing. So looking after him is kept yeah. busy. Any, I feel, uh, sorry. I feel sorry for you most of all. Then. <laughs> Any recommendations, Gosty? Uh, well, I'll rewatch Manage UT from start to finish. Um, one of my favourites. Um, just after watching a, like a DC thing called Black Lightning, it's it's, it's okay. It's, uh, I, I wouldn't wouldn't shout it from the rooftops. It's, it's not bad. And I'll move on to once I finish that one. Okay. Anybody else? I've just started watching uh, Parks and Recreation on uh, Amazon Prime, and I am hugely enjoying it. I'm binge. I'm binging the whole thing now. I think I'm up to like season five or something. See what's been your flat. Amazon Prime and Netflix. I know, I know. Wow. <laughs> well, okay. Joe, anything? I've just finished Tiger King. You can you can come on Twitter and debate the models of that if you like. Uh, <laughs> so I think that, that that was that great. Um, watch The Sopranos, watch The Wire. If you haven't seen them, this is your chance to, to get educated with the best two series of all time. Yeah. That's a fact. That's not Absolutely. bad. Absolutely. It is, in fact, it's a big improvement. Excellent. Uh, Chaps, so much for your company, and uh, thank you for listening to this uh, special Blood Red and Royal Blue podcast. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.